There's nothing wrong with your podcast feed. Do not attempt to change the podcast. We are now controlling the transmission. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Hello, everyone. This is the uh, Unverified Accounts podcast now on Escape from Plan A. So it's the same people you know and love. It's Chris, Liza, and Philip. What's up, guys? What's up? We're back. And we're also back with one of our favorite guests, Arnov. Hey, what's up, Arnov? Hey, what's up, guys? Good to what's be back. Man? Yeah, so this episode has been in a long time making. I think, uh, when did we first come up with this idea? Months ago? It was we me. Yeah, we watched White Tiger like three months ago. I don't know, a while ago. Yeah, because yeah. I first had to put a hold on the book in the library because I wanted to get it. <laughs> then I got it. Then I had to read it. Uh, and then uh, uh, Arnov wanted us to also watch the two parts of Gangs of Wasipur. And that's a long movie. And, and while we're here, I'm so glad we're here. I'm very glad um, we did this because, uh, you know, I really enjoyed that movie, enjoyed the book, enjoyed the White Tiger movie as well. But um, yeah, so... Again, if people are confused, um, so this uh, every so often on the Escape from Planet A podcast, we are going to do these episodes of unverified accounts, which will be these deep dives into select novels, TV shows, and movies mostly. And so this is not really our first episode. We actually have 40 episodes on our own uh, separate feed, uh, which you can go and listen to if you like. But all future episodes will now be on the Escape from Planet A feed because hey, we're all family and we want to consolidate our work and it just makes things easier for everyone involved. So really glad to have this UA thing up again because, yeah, I missed you guys. It was uh, I was getting very used to doing it and then we took a little few weeks off just to gather our thoughts and stuff. Um, but Arnav, you said you've been on a bit of a bender lately. What's up? What's what's going on with that? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, so I, got, I finally made it, back to, uh, made it back to the Bay Area uh, about a month ago. Uh, got fully vaccinated, uh, spent a bunch of time, you know, like, uh, you know, like looking for new jobs, interviewing for a couple. Uh, I got a new job that's going to start uh, next, uh, this coming week, actually. So in order to enjoy my last week of unemployment, I've been, uh, you know, doing a bit of drinking, doing a bit of scuba diving, uh, not at nice. the same time, you know, dive responsibly. Uh, but uh, yeah. you say diving responsibly? Yeah, I mean, so don't drink alcohol right before you go scuba diving. You're going to have <laughs> oh, a geez, bad time. Christ. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like, that's yeah, the nasty case of the bends and, and, and the hungover. I don't bends and bender. Bends yeah. and yeah. benders. Yeah, bends and benders, man. We, 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 we make a great trashy novel, I feel. But uh... <laughs> hey, hey, Arnav, how's the, uh, how's the day drinking in uh, San Francisco versus Mumbai? Uh, it's different. I mean, day drinking in uh, Bombay is more of a... I know whenever I've done it, it's been more of like a house party scene. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of like clubs and restaurants where you can do it in and it's like common to like go get like mimosas and shit. But uh, yeah. yeah, day drinking in San Francisco, it's different. You know, you go to, you take a bunch of liquor to a park, maybe a couple of bottles of wine. You can do that. Uh, the other day, my uncle basically took me and my brother and my, my like cousin to uh, like top golf in San Jose. Uh, whereas which is basically a place where you can just hit golf balls and keep ordering whiskey. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was pretty lit. And yeah, I mean, my uncle's a pretty lit guy, so it worked out pretty well. And then, Great. yeah, I went, uh, I went sailing yesterday with a bunch of older people Very that fun. turned out to be really fun. Don't drown, buddy. <laughs> no, it was all good. Yeah. Liza, what have you been up to? Um. So after like a straight, God, I don't even know how many, I think that we are like seriously on like, we were on like 400 plus days of lockdown and I finally came out of it. Woo! The family and I, Woo! we went to the pool club this weekend. So my um, my middle son was like inconsolable when we first got there. He didn't want to go in. Um, to the pool? 
He didn't want to go into the pool club. We had to stay in the parking lot for a while to call, oh. to like convince him that it was okay. That like the uh, so our pool club requires that all adults have to be fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since it's outdoors and there's like chlorine and stuff, I guess you know these. They also offered only a limited amount of memberships this year, so only returning members were allowed to come back, no new members. Um, But we finally convinced him to go in, and then we ended up at the pool the whole weekend. We were there all day yesterday, and then all day today. He got over it. Does he not like swimming in general? Or no, no, no. It it wasn't about the swimming. It was just the you know after four hundred plus days of quarantine, and um, it's like the first time going anywhere. You're saying you like literally didn't go to grocery stores or all we, that was done online. We did and so nothing. On. We wow, that's crazy. did a lockdown. I think, lockdown I think you're the most, for four. Like, like I think yeah. a little bit over four hundred days. Holy fuck! Wow, impressive. It's like Fallout. You emerge from the vault. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, yeah, the hope this we'll do outdoor stuff since it's summer. Drive-in movies if we go to the movie theater. I, I just came back from a weekend with some of the planning people. We went upstate to Copic. We had a nice little house by the pond. Nice. And nice. yeah, we, we spent a, a weekend there. It was really nice. Yeah, just nice nice uh, way to start off the summer. It's like early June, so it feels like summer's just starting. But because I've been away this weekend, I have a l- little bit out of the loop in the news, but with Unverified Counts, we do like to cover some some wild and wacky news that happens. Uh, did anything happen? I it's This whole weekend, I, I've been kind of out of touch. I heard like... There was a hoax that Queen Elizabeth died. Is that a thing? Did you what? guys see that? I did not see that. Okay. That's the first time hearing of it, but I'm not on Twitter, so that sounds like Daily Mail level shit, which I wouldn't read. So yeah, so one of the people I was up with uh, saw that, and we thought for a couple hours we thought it was real. None, none of us cared, obviously, but uh, then we found out it was a hoax. But <laughs> like a true Canadian, Chris, you don't care <laughs> that the Queen died. Nice. Yeah. So oh. yeah. So what what's been going on, guys? Any anything you want to talk about? I feel like it's it's a transitory period right now, right? Like May just ended, so we're done with AAPI month, and June started, so we're into Pride month, so like all sorts of shit there. That and like the whole Israel Palestine thing that was raging hard for like a couple of weeks. Oh, that's so yesterday now, right? I know it's like it's pretty much gone from the feed. Also, so there's an interesting development there. Like I don't think Netanyahu is gonna become like gonna become Israeli prime minister again, and he might actually go to prison, but oh, yeah, being true. replaced by someone even even kookier. So that's gonna be a uh, there's going, to, there's going to be another shit show in Israel-Palestine soon, you know, like uh, Israel-Palestine 2020-2022 electric boogaloo, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but I felt like that that whole, like, uh, you know, BB election news was pretty much unrelated to the conflict itself. It just, like, is notable because he's been super corrupt and in power for a long time. The actual, like, conflict, once it once they hit their armistice or whatever, or their, their you know, ceasefire... I felt like it dropped off the radar pretty quick. So we're just going to hear silence for a long time until the next guy comes in and, you know, fires off. Yeah, it's summer shit, now. So. People don't, you know, uh, yeah. you know that's that's too last season. Yeah. You know, new, season, new season, new um, season. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of stuff that happened last week, Chris, uh, there's uh, the England team is in some shit because Trent Alexander-Arnold was picked to much controversy as one of the right backs for the team and uh, then got injured in a friendly and now he's out for the Euros. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's something we, we might want to talk about at the end. I don't know how many people here follow soccer, so it might be a little, a bit uh, out of their knowledge. But um, yeah, that's that certainly news. That's certainly news. The, t- the two of you guys are gonna be annoyed because I'm gonna, I'm about to become interested in soccer for like you know, 
twice twice every or once every two years because you're starting next week. Oh, join our <laughs> join our gambling pool. Hard bandwagoning for me. Yeah, we could um, use a mark. <laughs> I mean, another member. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. anyway, uh, API month. How'd you guys think it went? I don't know. Like it was maybe on steroids because of the Atlanta shooting. I think like everyone like was forced to pay more attention, but it felt like the same old shit to me. I didn't feel like anyone learned anything. It just came and went without anyone paying. I mean, I don't think that, I guess because like none of us pay attention to it and like no one else I really talk to, like all the Asian people I talk to, they also don't pay attention to it. So really, but like, you're involved in like stuff though, Liza, you're involved in like movements and stuff. So don't they have to, you know, make a, make some kind of showing around that time around me? Um, so you mean like, you mean like Malaya movement and all yeah, those groups? Yeah, yeah, and all those groups. They don't really yeah. pay attention to AAPI month, no. Really? Okay. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Is it because yeah. Filipinos are like, eh, this doesn't really apply to us? Or is it because it just like, you know, they they don't, they, it, there's no connection to it otherwise, right? Like, uh, I would say probably the former, yeah, maybe. Oh, really? Or at least in the organizations that I'm involved in. East East Asian versus Southeast Asian privilege discourse. <laughs> I, <laughs> don't, I don't know about that. I just think that um, I think that AAPI month is just seen as like some some corporate representation, like media bullshit. It's yeah, getting more. It's getting uh, more corporate. This where it's year, like right? buy shit, you know, yeah, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's, I think unless you're involved in some kind of HR department or you're part of a diversity committee, it probably doesn't mean anything to anyone. Uh, maybe if you're a freelance writer, you'll you'll get a gig, you know, uh, slightly more than you usually do, but that's about it. But now it's Pride Month, which is probably the worst of these, uh, you know, pink wash, whatever they call it, you know, corporate woke months. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, it, it, it's the one that everyone goes out hardest for. And because of um, all the parades, and they like change the um, they change their icons to like whatever their logo is, they make it into a rainbow. Yeah. yeah. And you know, yeah. there's like, I don't know too much about this, but you know, there's that whole uh, controversy about the kink thing and whether it should be family friendly or not. I say anything that kind of makes it more uh, kind of taboo and, and, and keeps like the like the, the shoppers and the corporations away. I think that's probably good for it. Like, <laughs> but I don't I know very little about it, but that's my very uninformed opinion. What about because- like young so kids that want to come out and like their families want to march with them? That's good, but that's the that's the good pure part, right? Like that's the part that's what you want to see in the pride parade. You don't want to see fucking you know Chase Bank, right, coming out and trying to get you know trying to get uh, attention for this kind of shit. Can you that's have you one want. without the other? No, it feels like not really in America. Not anymore. At, at, well, at I don't know. Stage. So San Francisco, it's going to be interesting this year because I think they canceled the main pride parade that happens on, I think like uh, I think like third weekend of June or something. That's shocking I mean, to me because. Because like aren't aren't conditions good there, and isn't Pride like the biggest thing, the biggest celebration in San Francisco? It is, yeah. Uh, it is like huge. Uh, and uh, but they cancel like the main expo and like you know all the floats. So basically, what's sure. going to happen is that there isn't like in from what I understand, there isn't going to be an official official Pride parade like you know sponsored by Wells Fargo or whatever. Yeah. But uh, there is going to be like you know like everybody in San Francisco is still going to be celebrating celebrating it unofficially. So it's just going to be yeah. like a huge Pride month of. Uh, you know, like partying, debauchery, uh, you know, all the usual like fun stuff. That's good. And I think, That's good. Yeah, I think there'll That's be some like be. You know, family friendly stuff going on as well because there's like a lot of, lot of like, you know, like gay or lesbian couples with uh, with kids in the city too. So. That'd yeah, be, that's, uh, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see fucking like Pride Month sponsored by Salesforce, right? I want to see people like enjoying this important month for their own personal, you know, 
Maybe I'm just being cynical, but I think like the kind of parents who take their kids out are, are doing it for themselves. They're trying to show off what great parents they are, because like or their kids are coming out. Oh well, that's that's perfectly legit. If if their kids are yeah, well, that's legit. Yeah, but um, you know, like the kids really need to be there. Just it's like why why does everything have to be so disnified? You know, even pride parades. This was supposed to not whatever. Uh, but anyway, so expect a whole month of more uh, more of that stuff. And, um, oh, uh, did you see this whole thing with Ellie Kemper? I don't want to talk too much about it, except, <laughs> like, all, all I want to say is, like, it's got to be crazy being a celebrity. It seems like any kook on Twitter can can generate news about you, about the most irrelevant thing. Like, oh, yeah, so what? She was in what some... What was the du- pageant, though? Like, it's not really KKK, right? That's just what they're saying on Twitter. They're calling it a KKK pageant, but it, it can't really be, though. Yeah, no, it, it was. It's like the veiled something. It was some weird thing, but, you know, it was started in the 19th century. So obviously its roots aren't perfectly clean. I mean, even just like a modern day beauty pageant is already kind of icky. So, you know, think of one that goes back over a century. You know, like Who knows what tainted uh, <laughs> hands have gotten into it. But uh, I think there was an old article in the Atlantic came on 2014 about uh, there was certain imagery in the main hall of this place in Missouri, St. Louis, I think. And it kind of looked like KKK. Then a couple of nuts on Twitter jumped on it and said, oh, yeah, uh, she was voted the KKK princess. And then people jumped on it all. And it generated news for a day. And it was it's just it's just the craziest things now where uh, people are just so uh, so eager to tear down celebrities. You got to now be paranoid about some article that was written about in 2014 about something you were probably entered into by your parents or whatever when you were you were like a teenager. Who don't pay attention to the origins of such things, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, like, who knows? The, or I bet the origins of the Boy Scouts is horrible. Uh, or the Kiwanis Club or any of this stuff that in anybody might join. So, you know, who knows, right? It's just, I think it's just a lot of like petty viciousness uh, these days. People that's just a, want to wait, I have, a, I have a dumb question that you don't have to answer, but who is Ellie Kemper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, she, Ellie, she, she's Erin from The Office. She's that innocent, like naive girl, oh, right? In like the fourth oh, season. She's that ditzy one. Yeah, did she's got one. like and, and I think that's hair. why I think that's a big part of why this blew up was because people were like, "Oh, can you imagine Aaron from the Office like being involved in the KKK pageant?" <laughs> right? Like that's that's why it's sensationalist. But she was a teenager to your point, Chris, when this happened. Like, it, yeah, you know. I mainly know her from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt because I stopped yes, watching the Office right. by the time she came on. But yeah. again, also this raises the question: uh, How old is uh, nineteen? She was nineteen when she did it. Uh, sometimes people say, well, that's fully grown adult. She should have known everything, including the history of her uh, questionable beauty pageant. Um, other times, oh, you're just a child, you know, um, especially if you get into a relationship with someone even slightly older, you're being groomed. So people can't make up their minds. Uh, I, I hope this summer everyone goes out, uh, it becomes less online, and, and this kind of uh, stupidity is uh, shunted into the past, which we know won't happen. It will probably only get worse, but that is my deep deep wish um oh last thing because it's kind of related to i guess uh, south asia apparently uh, uh arnav correct my pronunciation here canada is it canada 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 was yeah. apparently uh called the world's ugliest language and um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a contest for that well i don't even know how to i think this it, it was just some weird google malfunction where like one <laughs> mini, like, insignificant website claimed this and it start, popped up and then it just blew up on Twitter. I totally missed this. It must have happened on a day when yeah, I was. Yeah, I can totally you know, see this becoming fun. A, I didn't really like yeah. follow it too much. Like I think uh, I saw like a passing thing about it, and then Chris, I saw the article you linked. Uh, yeah, I think it's really funny. I mean, uh, it's, it's probably generated a lot of good content content for the Indian meme internet. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Right, I think the fear, I feel like the biggest story there is about how you can't really trust Google as much as you think, right? Because they're still, you know, they're still using an algorithm that is designed by a bunch of dumbass humans. And, uh, you know, it's going to lead to dumbass results like this sometimes. And then they gave out, the article gave a whole bunch of other examples on how the whole fat box thing or like the, you know, quickly generated thing like fucks up. And I mean, I've seen that as well, right? They like cite like some random, uh, half the time they'll cite like some random website to give like a snippet of what you're searching for, that kind of thing. This article is about dunking on Google and big tech in general via, you know, by the New York Times because they're the ones who posted it. It's not about the language and whether or not it's ugly. Like, there's no, yeah. you know, what region of India is this language from? Like, what what major so cities? Uh, so, Canada is like from. It's mainly spoken in this in the state of uh, Karnataka, and uh, the biggest city there is like you know, is Bangalore or Bengaluru, oh, uh, yeah, one yeah. of the biggest cities in India. Uh, India, Silicon Valley, all of that. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty significant, yep. and then. Historically, I mean, Karnataka has been the seat of many major empires and it just has a really long and deep history and all of that. And Canada as a language, I mean, I don't really think it's ugly. It's definitely less <laughs> ugly, more beautiful than like German or something. <laughs> or, like, we're, like, even like asking like direction as a bathroom sounds like you want to shoot somebody, man. Like, uh, so I don't know where this, I don't know who made this distinction, but uh, yeah, I can't really speak it. It's a uh, South Indian language. They're kind of like unrelated to, uh, you know, other like North Indian ones. I see. For the most part, yeah. Canada, no matter how it's spelled, can't get any respect anywhere. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I the funniest thing was, I think there's a, a BJP uh, member tweeted that uh, he was going to sue Google unless they like retracted the story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, that happens all the time, man. Like, uh, someone is like, yeah, like, so I think this is actually a good segue. You know, like, uh, this, uh, we'll probably touch on this topic uh, later on, but. Uh, like there's been a lot of like uh, calls for like uh, like grassroots kind of like calls for censorship or banning certain forms of media or art in India because there is like you know some legal frameworks that allow for it uh, for better for worse, and so you see stuff like this all the time. Like uh, there's this great uh, this old movie called uh, that was called it's called Billu, but the original title of that was Billu Barber, and some some barbers union felt that it showed barbers in a you know in a bad light, so they had to change the movie title from Billu Barber to Bob to Billu. So, uh, yeah, like random stuff like that happens all the time. Like someone is like, yo, I'm going to sue you or take you to court for Wait, showing what's me a bobble? in a bad light. No, no, so, oh, sorry, I didn't pronounce that right. Uh, so the movie is called Billu Barber, like, you know, like a hairdresser. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, like a barber's union was like, nah, this is good. Oh. Barber. <laughs> oh, are you serious? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Is this like India's version of like wokeism and like cancel culture? Uh, cancel culture has been a thing in India for a while, uh, and uh, we should touch on this later because Gangs of Wasipur actually played a big role in like how that changed, and then along with you know the rise of oh, like cool. Netflix and Hotstar and all these OTT platforms, it kind yeah. of allowed okay. more stories like Gangs of Wasipur to be uh, created, and so you've seen an explosion of uh, those kinds of stories in uh, mainly on mainly as web series in the last few years. Okay. All right. Actually, uh, since you mentioned Bangalore, why don't we jump into The White Tiger uh, and just go from there? So The White Tiger was a novel by, uh, what's his name? Anand Ariga? Yeah, Arvind Arvind Ariga. Yeah, Arvind Ariga. I think it came out in 2008, won the Man Booker Prize, and then recently came out as a movie starring some famous Indian actors, but to us in America, we'll know Priyanka Chopra the most. Mm -hmm. Uh, She plays Pinky. Uh, one of the main characters. So, uh, Arnav, why, why don't you give us the background uh, of this? But actually, before we do, what do you guys all think of the book? Let's just go quickly around, just give a couple of sentences. I really enjoyed the book. It was a good read. Uh, the narrator, what's his name again? Uh, Balram. 
Baldrum. Oh, he's full of personality. He's he's a character, and you you see from his point of view, he's a really unreliable but entertaining narrator. I enjoyed it. What do you guys think? I loved uh, it. I like yeah, I liked the book a lot when it came out. Uh, I read it when I was in high school. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a great book. It was very compellingly written. Uh, I do have some issues with like Adiga's with kind of like Adiga's whole. Uh, kind of like narrative perspectives, a lot of the language and like, you know, a lot of the language, I think that just doesn't do a great job of capturing the, uh, capturing that, but, you know, purely as a piece of fiction, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really good. I thought it really did capture some of the zeitgeist of the time really well. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, uh, you know, that way was very relevant. Uh, the movie on the other hand felt really flat to me and I thought it was really poorly, uh, really poorly executed, but uh, we can go into that after. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip, your quick thoughts before uh, Arnav tells us the story. I did not do my homework. I did not read the book. Oh, shame on you. <laughs> I'll, All right, I'll, tell you I'll tell you why. Off on this podcast. All right, I'm turning off your mic right now. Click. <laughs> it's, okay. it's because I watched the movie and my wife, was, we, we watched it together and she was like, I have the book. It's on our bookshelf. Like, I actually could have read it because it's right there. And I was Double like, so how, how different is the book from the movie? And she's like, I don't know. I think it's about the same. And I was like, all right. It is very faithful, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I see. That's why I feel you're so quiet when I was like going around. You didn't say anything. I was like, oh, but, I don't want to yes, skip but, but you know what? It, I brought up the point that it's very faithful. So that's a good good nugget there. Yeah, it is faithful. Can I anyway, give a so- recommendation? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. sure. Go ahead. So I I read the book and I also bought the audio book on Audible. Oh, yeah. And the narration is very, very good. Oh, yeah? Who does mm-hmm. it? I enjoyed it. Does anyone famous do the narration like an actor? It's John Lee. I don't know who that is. John Lee. Um, mm-hmm. No, sounds... No, I don't think sounds- it's anyone famous. It's not like it's not like Matilda, which is read by like Kate Winslet, like that kind of no it's oh, just see, whoever whoever did the narration did a good job though i i read the mm-hmm. book along with the with the audible i've never done that before this is my first time trying that out and um it was enjoyable i i like the book and i love the movie too yeah yeah uh so arnav like tell us what the story is but more importantly like, you said it, it like captured the zeitgeist of the moment what, what exactly was it trying to capture yeah, for sure. So uh, I'll talk about the zeitgeist first, and then uh, you know we can talk about the story itself. Uh, so yeah, the uh, story set in like kind of like the late '90s, mid early to mid 2000s, right? And uh, that was like a very interesting era in India because uh, it was kind of like the uh, kind of like the second like decade of liberalization. So I'll just give it a little bit more backstory. This ties in the Gangs of Wasipur stuff as well. Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah. So for context, until about the 90s, India's economy was kind of like basically like a, uh, it was pretty nationalized. It was pretty, you know, it was pretty socialist. There was a whole system that people called the license Raj, which basically meant that you needed a license to do most things. And as a result, there wasn't much, you know, economic growth or entrepreneurship, at least not compared to later. Uh, in the 90s, uh, the IMF and along the IMF kind of, uh, forced India to liberalize its economy. So, you know, like deregulate a bunch of stuff, do a little bit of privatization, open up to more foreign investment. And uh, that led to a lot more growth and dynamism. You finally had like, you know, like globalization hit, like, you know, McDonald's opening, uh, Coca-Cola coming back, that kind of thing. And a lot more like, you know, grassroots entrepreneurship and kind of like this whole very, uh, in some places kind of had this whole like kind of Wild West uh uh, you know, kind of like very exciting, uh, bubbly, kind of bubbly feel, right? Like the cities were booming. A lot of like infrastructure was being built. A lot of the smaller towns suddenly saw a lot of money coming in as well. And the white t- and uh, crucially, you saw a lot of growth in uh, tech and IT, mainly on like back office stuff. A ton of uh, companies like uh, Wipro, Satyam, all of those uh, kind of like became really big as uh, IT companies, as outsourcing companies. And the white tiger is kind of like set during the peak of this era. 
uh, kind of like late 90s from and early to mid 2000s. And so the zeitgeist at the time was basically, uh, you know, basically kind of said that, okay, yeah, the Washington consensus is of, you know, neoliberal economic policy is working very well in India. We need to, you know, just mainly implement that with some, uh, you know, with some tweaks over here. Uh, and, you know, you're going to have the techno technocracy and like global white collar expat class uh, leading this whole like quote unquote development, uh, development uh, story. Uh, and then, you know, you're going to see a ton of growth. And then, you know, the only things you need to do are focus on reforms and tweaks to reduce corruption, improve regulation, you know, develop some basic infrastructure, and then capital and then neoliberal capitalism will take care of the rest of it. Uh, so that was a zeitgeist at the time. And it wouldn't was not uncommon, at least even when you were like in you know middle school and then high school like me, to say go to like an event about, you know, India's future and like your comparisons to China and, you know, call for more special economic zones and uh, you know, like here's some guy waxing poetic about how what we really need is like better schools or some shit like that. And uh, yeah, that was a zeitgeist until about uh, until a few, just a few years after the White Tiger was published, uh, when uh, the Congress, the government run by the uh, Indian National Congress, like the kind of like the main political party in India until then, was hit by a ton of corruption scandals around uh, like spectrum allocation, the Commonwealth Games, like you know, 50 other different things. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was like a whole anti-corruption movement that the uh, kind of like the Hindu right, like the BJP, ended up uh, you know riding the coattails of and coming up and coming to power in 2014, uh, and that's when Modi became uh, prime minister. So since then, they've kind of broadly been in power, and the and the situation has changed a lot. Uh, you don't really have the uh, you know you still have the old great socialist politicians that are mentioned in the White Tiger, but they don't really have as much power anymore, or they had to they have had to basically uh you know kind of like to the right the hindu right kind of to the hindu rights line if they want to stay in power and uh, that's kind of led to a whole bunch of other uh, things right like the government's got a lot more uh, you know regressive in certain ways like it's been pretty repressive on free speech uh pretty repressive on uh you know like uh like ngos and getting foreign funding for those uh there's been a lot more communal violence and then a whole bunch of economic mismanagement so the whole atmosphere has changed a lot right like there's less in some some parts felt a lot more optimistic after Modi came because they thought he'd like clean up the clean up corruption and all of that. Uh, a lot of their optimism has for better for better or for worse gone and uh, has kind of been, you know, there's been a little, there's been like a shift in like the way people in the optimism from that era. And the White Tiger is kind of like, a, it's kind of like a counter to the optimism of that era, but still reflects some of the main talking points, right? Like it kind of shows that, oh yeah, when you have, a, that despite all these gleaming cities, you still have an ugly underbelly or hinterland where you have these, all these problems of caste and corruption and yeah, all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, The caste uh, system never never went away during this time. It was just kind of like maybe not talked about as much because of all this exciting economic growth, right? Yeah, it wasn't talked about as much, but it was still there. And I mean, in the 90s, there had also been like a rise in what people called like uh, caste politics, right? So like... Uh, before the 90s, a lot of politics were dominated by people who were, you know, came from like Brahmin or other like adjacent upper caste communities. In the 90s, especially in like deep North India, so the places where uh, White Tiger and both gangs of Asipura set, so states like Uttar Pradesh, uh, Bihar, uh, Jharkhand, all of them, uh, there was basically a rise of parties that, you know, explicitly catered to like uh, quote unquote lower caste, but that's not really like a good, uh, like a good. Uh, uh, cat like a good categorization basically they were like uh, communities that were more likely to be you know just farmers as opposed to highly educated brahmins or uh, or landowners or that kind of thing so they just catered to like you know farmers laborers that kind of stuff and they kind of came to power like did upset a lot of things there and 
you know, whenever you have a new like political faction coming to power, you obviously have a lot of, uh, and I think this is a global thing. You obviously you have a lot of, uh, you're gonna have a whole system of patronage and, uh, you know, like getting perks coming out of it, right? So that was like a big story around a lot of these politicians like uh, Mayawati, Lalu Prasad Yadav, all of them who came to power at that point. And so that's kind of reflected in, yeah, all of those. But yeah, let's, I wouldn't get uh, too carried away there. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just explain the story just to, you know, give uh, give Arnav a chance to take a break. Uh, that was really great uh, in, in, you know, letting us know all about that background info. But anyway, so White Tiger is about Balram. He's this kind of scrappy nobody from a very small village. He calls it the dark India or darkness versus light. And he, it's his way of scheming uh, to the, you know, to the top or what he thinks is the top. And he... Uh, Long story short, he becomes a driver for this wealthy couple, Mr. Ashok and Pinky. Pinky played by Priyanka Chopra and Mr. Ashok. What's what's the guy's name? Uh, Rajkumar Rao. He's probably one of my favorite actors. In, in yeah, the, he uh, also right. yeah. has a small part in uh, Gangs of Wasapur. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Balram becomes their driver. And he is like, I mean, he's like taken in a, as a... I don't want to say family because they, they mistreat him a lot. Um, but you know, they, at times they show affection for him. But as time goes on, he, this resentment breeds uh, within him. And, you know, he looks really looks up to Mr. Ashok at the beginning. But towards the end, uh, he just becomes angrier and angrier to the point where he kills him, uh, takes off with this money that, you know, he's constantly paying the government as bribes. And uh, by the end, he set up his own, um, it's like a taxi service which services indian workers at the call centers which are new developments at the time that this story takes place in bangalore and so that that's the story of the white tiger and, and the white tiger refers to like the rare animal um you know one of the rarest animals so i i guess it means like balram is is the white tiger because he is this he is this dirt poor villager who rose to be you know like a big boss man in bangalore so yeah that's the, that's the story of the white tiger the, the the narrative in the the story was really interesting, right? Because he's is he like writing a letter to a Chinese official, presumably? Yeah, some, yeah, he's so, writing a know, what's that to, about? Yeah, yeah. So I think the way it's framed is that he's right. Is that it's uh, forget the year. It's supposed to be like two thousand three or two thousand five or something. And uh, when Jiabao, who was uh, China, the premier of China at that time, uh, was uh, visiting India for some like you know big stay, big uh, like state visit, state visit or something. So. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting framing because, you know, at first glance, there's nothing really connecting Balram or Wen Jiabao. And I think in the movie, they kind of show him as they kind of have the scene at the end where they show him like kind of crashing uh, his like security detail to give him this letter. And uh, basically, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a, he's kind of telling his story to Wen Jiabao in this letter and trying to explain how he, you know, uh, came from the quote unquote darkness to uh, the you know quote unquote new India or to the light and a and was able to you know become a successful entrepreneur that way uh, and uh, I was trying to like you know like tell I think the point was to kind of tell Wenji about that uh, you know like this is you know how this is what's actually happening over here and how it's okay now you know this is the price of uh, you know gaining freedom and uh, you know economic uh, you know and wealth and economic development. Uh, but yeah, it was a very interesting framing, I think, because uh, at that time, the Zeitgeist also like compared India and China a lot, right? And uh, China was kind of seen as further ahead, but w- nobody ever really saw China transforming the way it has in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, one was, one yeah. of the things that Balram says twice is that uh, is like the, the white man is washed up. It's the century of the brown and yellow man. 
He says that yeah. both, I think, at the beginning and at the end of the movie. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I think they showed. Yeah, I think they showed over there. That's and, pretty. What? That's yeah. pretty much what. Um, what drew me in when I was watching the movie? <laughs> that quote, right? Yeah, right, when he says that at the beginning of the movie, I was like, "Oh, it's going to be a really good movie." Thank God. <laughs> like that's the message that I I like all movies to have. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So at that time, I think it was one of those things where everyone saw India and China kind of being like tied together and like growing. Uh, you know, growing in a similar way, uh, and then obviously, you know, things have changed. Things have changed in very different ways for them, right? Like, uh, China like has continued to grow like in a very breakneck way. It's kind of like you know aggressively gone into like certain sectors like uh, clean energy, etc. Uh, at the same time, you know, a lot of uh, writers and artists from China have said that hey, there's way more, uh, we have way more hoops to jump through now. There's a little bit more censorship than there was 15 years ago. And in India, you've kind of seen like a similar. You know, like a similar like uh, sentiment in terms of you know people wanting to you know ban certain books or the Hindu right being attacking a bunch of artists or uh, uh, you know or uh, you know filmmakers etc. But you haven't seen the same kind of breakneck breakneck economic growth. So it kind of feels in many ways. So the whole zeitgeist just feels very different now. It's less optimistic and there's less and it seems as if China and India have decoupled themselves. And that's so the movie was the, like yeah. was like a time capsule of that period for i mean for you especially because you know you grew up in it and you know the history of it because i didn't know and i think by you explaining that actually makes the movie feel much more deep to me for me it was just a great movie right um but it, it really was supposed to be it like it, it feels like if you understand the period like a great way to capture a bunch of different things that hit hit home at that time uh yeah uh let's talk about the the movie uh but i do i don't know if i do want to ask you at least what what the perception is in india why that divergence happened like at this time china was only slightly ahead but why is it now much more ahead as uh, you know instead of what the actual reason is i want to know what what on the ground indians might think i mean you were there recently you grew up there perhaps you can uh give us a little insight into that but uh, as as to the movie, uh, I think us three we liked the movie. Arnav, you really didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> tell us why you didn't like the movie. Okay, yeah. So I thought it was. Uh, I like to describe the movie as painfully average because you know it has some good beats. It has uh, some pretty great performances from both Rajkumar Rao and Priyanka Chopra. Like I think they embody the character super well. But uh, yeah, I think it was really average because you know, like I think a movie like this would have been super novel and super interesting. You know, at the time that the book was published. But since then, it just kind of comes across as, uh, I don't really like this word, but I think it's accurate here. Uh, it comes across as inauthentic. And in, what I mean by that is that a lot of the, uh, I think Adiga was criticized when he wrote the book for, you know, trying to create a kind of cardboard cutout character or like a cipher for a certain set of viewpoints. And that was, you know, intended a contrast with the whole like, you know, Indian growth story or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that worked well in the novel, but I think in the movie, it just didn't work, right? Because a lot of the, I think it was uh, directed by this uh, by Ramin uh, Berani. I think he's a Iranian American director, and you kind of very, a really I well very known, well regarded director, right? He is a well regarded director. Yeah. yeah, from what I hear, I'm, I'm not really familiar with the rest of his work, but uh, I don't think he executed the film well. I think a lot of the, uh, you know, I think a lot of the shots, for example, just kind of conveyed, uh, you know, just kind of conveyed this whole like outside of viewpoint, right? Like uh, it looked, it, you know, you, you, I think the viewer was supposed to be disoriented and you know like crazy and you know like felt that oh yeah this india is this, like crazy exotic place there where uh you know like there's all this kinds of like all these kinds of fucked up things happening and it's not like you know not like it should be a rosy portrayal but it just didn't uh it just came across as not really understanding the setting and the cult and you know the setting and the entire atmosphere very well and so i think do that- you know 
Yeah. Do you know if it was meant to be released in theaters or was it only always supposed to be only released on Netflix? Or was it like a double thing like um what what was that uh Quaron movie called? Um I thought I forgot the name of it. But you know it was like released in theaters but also in streaming a few days later. Um Yeah. No, I think it was always supposed to be uh released on Netflix. I think Netflix produced the movie. Uh I know the film was optioned like way back into uh, 2009 or 2010 and was then uh yeah and was then basically stuck in development hell for a while uh but uh yeah it was basically one of those uh, yeah it's kind of it was, i think it was designed to be released on netflix and netflix and a lot of online like streaming platforms or like ott platforms in general do a lot of this kind of content post gangs of wasipur where they'll uh, you know like create these stories that uh, i like to call say are set in what i call the kashyap verse like the anurag like very similar to like other anurag kashyap projects uh so that you know and the other reason they usually on these online platforms is because uh most online platforms weren't subject to the same like you know like censorship or review rules that uh yeah yeah movies in theaters or on tv are subject to so they could kind of get away with putting a lot more you know sex drugs and violence in mm-hmm. uh and also like touch on like you know topics that were that were uh, you know less more sensitive right uh that's changing a li- that might change a little bit now I'm not sure if it will but i think that's kind of it was always intended to be on netflix for that reason is um, the caste yeah. system a sensitive topic in art in India that like gets censored or edited or because that's yeah, that, very, to me very I felt like that was so, a big yeah. yeah I felt like that was a big theme yeah. right and maybe part of the why maybe you you liked or you didn't like it but we liked it was that we have a more basic understanding of how complex the caste system really is right but you actually understand yeah. it because you kind of you know you've seen it grown up right Yeah I mean so I, I will preface this by saying that you know when you're growing up in like you know in Bombay or you know De- or maybe not so much in Delhi because there's a lot of like immigration from like the surrounding areas but if you're growing up in say Bombay or Bangalore uh, you're not really and you know you're like really sufficiently privileged you know let's say you you know speaking like you go to an English medium school that kind of thing you kind of like grow up without too much like caste awareness like yeah you know it exists but it's all the perception is always something where that you know it's happening like we are in the villages or something but uh, Yeah it's like it's one of those things where I kind of like grew up like thinking oh yeah casteism is like a thing only like backwards as religious or something but uh, yeah you do like the world you get the more you like see like subtle things coming up in it and yeah, I don't want to like speak for like you know people from you know what might have been like disadvantaged caste because I'm not like you know from one of those communities but uh, the way caste is handled in movies is hasn't always been great like uh, there's one movie which I think ha- tries to touch on the topic really well and just comes across as really like preachy and like not really doesn't really handle it in a good way called article 15 and uh there's a couple of and i think uh his other movie swadesh which is like the sharukan movie came out in 2006 pretty great great movie kind of they both kind of have the they both kind of center around you know upper caste protagonists trying to you know uh reform other like upper caste people who are you know engaging in caste discrimination or something like that or like caste violence and and they kind of uh, they kind of do take the perspective of you know someone from the like urban anglophone india who's like you know kind of like going into this thing being like oh my god i didn't know this shocking thing existed in my in my country and i need to do something to solve it right kind of like a savior thing so that's kind of like how it tends to be treated in bollywood uh, a lot of regional scene cinema does treat it better but uh, honestly that's a whole other topic that i could go into regarding how it relates to the white tiger i felt it wasn't really well executed like it shows casteism happening but doesn't really get into the nuances of it right and also uh kind of uh you know does say that all you know all quote unquote disadvantaged or lower castes are uh, the same which really is not the case so like uh, balram supposed to be from a what's called the halwai caste right like traditionally there uh 
they make like uh, Indian like sweets or desserts like mithai. And uh, you know, like uh, anyone who's, and you know, if you come, if you're, you know, if you're a, from a community that makes things that other people eat, then chances are you're not going to be at the bottom of the uh, like bottom of the ladder because people are eating stuff that you make, and that's you know otherwise. And if that wasn't, and yeah, if that wasn't touching the case, it and social value, yeah, yeah, you're touching it. You're you know you're creating it, right? And uh, you and you know other people are eating that, so they're not really like the bottom of the ladder or. I think it was implied that he was like, you know, like maybe from like the Dalit community or something, which was, which is not the case at all. So I don't think they handle the nuances of that super well. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, and so I don't think it's a great commentary on casteism either. Yeah. I think along with but that, that but that's the, kind of, yeah. that's kind of my point though, is that like, I feel like if you come from, you know, the West, especially, and you have this, like, if you know anything about India's caste system, it's going to be very basic. It's going to be like, oh, there's a Brahmin caste and then just like the untouchables on the other end. And then some stuff in between, <laughs> right? You're not going to get the nuances and maybe because you don't have that extra pickiness, like eye towards that kind of detail, you, you may actually enjoy that. It's kind of a heavy handed you know, cardboard cutout depiction to your point. I kind of got into that in the last podcast when I was talking about how like there's so many Philam novels that I can't stand, but that other people like because I take for granted the the background knowledge that I have on on certain like um, certain things in our culture that I think are just like no 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 that's not how it is. But then you have to you have to understand like you know you just you have to concede that. Not everyone has that same knowledge that you do as in depth because they don't live it like you do. Yeah. One thing about the like obviously like the the movie and the book are similar. So I, I don't know why I didn't get this until I saw the movie. Was how many? I wonder if like uh, Bong Juno when he was making Parasite had read this book because you know he's a driver like you know Mr. Kim in Parasite. He also kills his boss at the mm-hmm. end. Like uh, Miss, uh, like Mr. Kim and Parasite. Uh, did, any, did anyone else make that? Uh, yeah, see that connection? Immediately. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know why yeah. it took me like after I read it. Uh, I didn't even see it in the book, but it's like duh, you know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I have a, I have a suspicion maybe. The, the, something about being book. a driver is like a modern form of being a servant. You know. Yeah, you I know, like like the Uber right. driver is yeah. the symbol of the modern like peasant kind I of. I think right. it goes I mean, no back all but, the yeah. way because remember the movie Sabrina. With Audrey Hepburn, right, right, yeah, she's the daughter of the chauffeur, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. William Holden's, uh, yeah, yeah, he's the boss man, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think the uh, I think the way they show like Balram basically having to do like pretty much a lot of like the housework or like you know I think in the book they go into this a little bit more where he has to drive uh, Ashok around while he's like trying to you know hobnob with the ministers and then you know they he's supposed to like pour them whiskey while driving at the same time like. That is something that, you know, like, uh, you kind of hear people like, you know, talk when, whenever, like in Bombay, we love talking shit about Delhi. That's kind of like one of the things you bring up where like, yeah, Delhi people are fucking alcohol, like, you know, like drink too much whiskey and drunk drive <laughs> and stuff like that. So like stuff like that was like, seems accurate, but also like just, again, seems like a caricature. And I think the biggest way in which this is shown is kind of like in the language used, right? So uh, Balram's like writing this in in English, but his, you know, like if he's coming from that part of India, chances are his inner monologue or his inner monologue is going to be in, you know, in Hindi or Bhojpuri or, you know, any of the other, any other language that he's going to be uh, speaking given that region he, com- he comes from. Right. And so that scene, and so in the way, you know, it's a kind of slang that's used in the movie and in the book in the kind of way his like thought process is structured. It is one of those things where it's kind of like, uh, I, it's kind of like, you know, I get this, I got the sense that Adiga was basically trying to like, 
uh, play, uh, kind of like create like a cipher for what he thought someone from this, uh, someone from the dark, quote unquote, darkness would be like, as opposed to actually trying to understand what's going on over there. Because Adiga, at the end of the day, like is a, you know, is part of the global expat class. Uh, and, you know, like went to a, you know, like grew up in like, uh, went to like a, you know, went to a bougie school in Mangalore, then went to, you know, went to school in Australia and then went to like Columbia and then Oxford, worked for the Financial Times. So it's not exactly, he's kind of like part of the like global, like, you know, global expat class, global technocratic managerial class, whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. doesn't he's Mr. Really, Ashok like, kind of, yeah. He is, yeah. Like I always, got, I got the sense like after reading the book and watching the movie that uh, Adiga's, that Ashok is kind of like a vehicle for Adiga to like kind of like put himself into the story. And Balram is very much defined in opposition to Ashok, right? As opposed to being authentically described as, you know, kind of like his own thing. And so that's kind of like where the story falls flat for me, where I'm like, okay, this is an interesting view, but it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't really get into the, actual reality of your reality on the ground very well because balram is kind of like an empty vehicle empty vehicle or like cardboard cut out for a certain like set of of viewpoints about it yeah Yeah. well to to give you all the credit he does kill his own character then like uh, his own avatar so that's uh, decent (laughs) but hey maybe uh, let's then move on to a movie that i think represents you know actual like real india more which is a gangs of wasipur which is this like two-part epic uh, I think it spans six hours, um, and it it tells this like multi generational story about this uh, one. What would you even call him? Like just like what does he start off with? Uh, what, what's the first? What's like the first? Uh, like uh, I guess um, man. Um, you know, like oh, who's yeah, yeah. Sardar's so, father. What's his name again? Oh yeah, so Sardar Khan's father is Shahid Khan. Okay, so uh, Shahid Khan yeah. is wronged by. Um, well, what's the bad guy's name again? Okay, let, me, let, me just the, let me just give the let me just give the backstory here because it's like okay, I watched do, the movie yeah. like eight times by now and it's <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so basically, it's set in uh, this uh, it's set in this uh, town called Vasipur that's kind of uh, close to this bigger city called Dhanbad, and Dhanbad is and this whole region is kind of where most of India's coal is mined. So it's kind of been like uh, you know like a coal mining town for like a, you know for about a century a century and a half give or take and uh, you know like and like a lot of other places where there's a lot of natural resources mining there's been a lot of violence here like uh, for the last few decades so the movie starts off like just at the end of the british era where uh, and it's kind of like this epic fight between uh, two like muslim uh, communities one is the pathans where sardar sardar khan his father shahid shahid khan and then his kids danish and faisal come from and the other are the Qureshis who are uh, butchers and I think they noticed this in the beginning, but they're literally uh, butchers, right? Their their yeah. job yeah. is to yeah, uh, yeah their job, you know, their occupation meat, is yeah. like is is you know butchering and selling meat. So that's the Qureshis. and uh, legend legend has it, and apparently this was like kind of like an urban legend across like small town North India, uh, that there was this legendary uh, bandit named Sultana Daku who used to uh, raid all of these uh, raid all of these. Uh, uh, like British like trains and you know just you know take them and then the British arrested him and either executed him or sent him to the uh, this infamous prison in the Andamans or he and then maybe escaped or whatever so he became this legendary figure anyway so the story starts in like the 40s uh, Shahid Khan is basically tries to basically impersonate Sultana Daku that pisses of the Qureshis who claim that he's part of their family so he's thrown out of Vasipur sent to Dhanbad and made an enforcer for uh, Ramadhir Singh who is a kind of like a local uh, like businessman slash general community leader who after independence decides to take over operation of the 
uh, coal mines and makes him an enforcer. But then he overhears that uh, Shahid Khan is about to, uh, is planning to like, you know, kill him and like, you know, or not kill him, but like usurp him rather. So he kills Shahid, he sends Shahid Khan to be killed and asks the Qureshis to kill Shahid Khan's son, Sardar Khan. But uh, Sardar Khan escapes with his uncle, uh, Nasir. And uh, he, once he learns that his, that Ramathi And Nasir is the narrator of the movie, right? Yeah, Nasir is the yeah. narrator of the movie as well. Yeah. So yeah. once once Sardar Khan hears that his uh, father has been killed by Ramathi Singh, he swears that he's going to, you know, going to get revenge on him for that. And that kind of becomes the driving force for him and his family in the movie. Like the, uh, I think the iconic line is, uh, in the thing in like Hindi is, Hamri Jindagi ka ek hai maksad hai badla. Uh, which means that my life has only one uh, one goal, which is revenge. And I won't just kill him, but I will like, you know, like make him watch or I don't exactly know how to translate but uh, it basically means I'll like make you watch. Oh, that I fucking, song you know, is so good. That song. Yeah. yeah. Everyone needs to go listen to that song right now. Uh, soundtrack is is fucking yeah first of all very very dirty i don't know if <laughs> music from that genre is usually like that explicit but they definitely but that's what up. makes it good because like keke lunga it has such a beautiful melody and, and the and the especially when the woman singing is very beautiful it's, it's but, it, beautiful, but yeah. then when i saw the subtitles and the lyric <laughs> yeah. it was like i will fuck you in the ass i my my knife will drip with the, <laughs> yeah. with the milk of your yeah, blood so the, like oh yeah, man so the, this is poetry so I, I, like yeah <laughs> The thing with that is that it's like not like super explicit. Like it's always like implied. Like kekelingi doesn't literally mean I will fuck you in the ass. It means that I will like yeah. I will take you or something. That's what that's what it means. I heard I will, like uh, I will on the like internet. Tell, yeah, I will tell you while I you know take you or something like that. Uh, basically, yeah. Basically, Man. it's used as a threat to me. Like I will fuck you in the ass while you watch. Like, or, you know, I will <laughs> yeah. fuck you up while you watch that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I mean yeah. This, uh, the movie's very long, but the story is like relatively simple. It's like Sardar Khan and then his sons, and then uh, are, are trying to like avenge. It, it, it's like a blood feud between them and Ramadir Singh, and it, there's like a lot of self-destructive behavior going on. One thing that I thought was really weird in this movie was how when these people would barge into people's homes to like you know kill whoever they want, instead of I would watch the movie and be like why are they like shooting before they enter? Like why don't they sneak up uh, behind them and shoot them? But the whole point, right, is to announce I'm coming to kill you. You can't do anything to stop me. And that you're going to know you're going to die before I kill you, right? Yeah. That's yeah, why they exactly. don't like... Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of fronting and there's a lot of hubris and it, it kind of like at the end of the movie it really comes together in a, you know, in a way that kind of fucks the, the protagonist. But yeah, that theme runs throughout the entire movie, which is pretty yeah, who would you say is the protagonist? You mean well, like Faisal really take is the main character of the second movie. Yeah, and then Sardar is is the main character for part one. And those two, basically, right? Son, it's yeah, just those yeah. two, right? Yeah. But they're not good guys, right? They're like no, I mean there are no good guys. Uh, yeah. Like, one thing I also really liked was well, Nagma was probably my favorite character because she's the first wife of Sardar, just because she's cold blooded. She she's so cold blooded. She like basically. Tells her sons like, uh, like uh, if you're gonna be a pussy, get out of my house. Like you better avenge <laughs> your fathers and your grandfathers. And then, yeah. uh, spoiler alert: when she dies, she's like protecting her, like, uh, like her servant. I don't know if, it, if it's her servant or something. She like not even running away, just takes a bullet right in the chest. Um, mm-hmm. she's a badass to the end. Yeah, 
She really is. Yeah, she was a great character over there. Uh, Durga Sardar Khan's second wife is also really interesting because she's like a runaway from uh, like from Bengal, and she's just taken in by uh, Nasir's sons, like in-laws or family or something like that. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so she's also really interesting because she's uh, she's very uh, she's vengeful, right? Right, because she hates the fact that Sardar Khan has his first family where both his kids are going to inherit his, you know, his name and kind of like his legacy. Whereas she's like, you know, like the second wife, she's also Hindu, not Muslim. So like, you know, her Sadar Khan's whole family or community won't really accept her as his wife then. And she kind of feels like, oh yeah, his, uh, you know, her son who's named definite and kind of becomes really important in the, uh, in part two is not going to really like, you know, get his, uh, you know, get his share of Sadar, Sadar Khan's legacy. So she was a great character too, uh, as was uh, Faisal's wife. Uh, Faisal's Mohsin. wife, uh, Mosina. Mosina, uh, Mosina, yeah, 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 yeah. She was really, uh, yeah, she was really funny. Like I, I really like the scenes between them because it just shows how much, uh, how much of a chutia Faisal is, and kind of like harkens back to the beginning when Nasir, is, Nasir Chacha is, uh, you know, narrating the whole thing, and he's like, uh, there's two types of, uh, you know, there's two types of people. Uh, one is. Uh, one type are bastards and the other type are idiots, something like that. Uh, <laughs> and like Fezal very much falls into like both being both an idiot and a bastard at the same time. So he kind of like complicates both of that, complicates that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was watching some of the videos you linked uh, that, you know, uh, explain more about the movie. And one apparently one of the things this movie did was take it, take the, the gangster hero and, and and portray him more realistically so that he wasn't some like you know perfect um like aspirational figure rather he is kind of if not stupid uh like violent and just just like not, not somebody you want to be even if they are a compelling character watching like, nobody really wants to be these people mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully they don't want to they don't want to be themselves in fact like yeah. Faisal, like and, and admits that. not only that there's like a meta narrative because especially with with someone like Faisal, i think who who is clearly very influenced by the movies he watches they themselves are acting out roles they've seen in the movies which yeah, we've like seen a, happen yeah. in real life especially with the mafia you know them copying uh, you know the godfather or other media they consume and a lot of the so-called traditions they <laughs> just cop from the movies uh so that was that was a very interesting uh like thing going on within the movie yeah it, it gave all the characters quite a bit of depth um i, I especially like that like all the male like the, the all the male characters had a lot of failures <laughs> throughout the movie and I don't, I don't just mean like they fucked up some like hit or like a you know a robbery or something like that there's a lot of that too but even just like in their interpersonal relationships which they show quite a bit of um which i thought was a great way to chop up the pace of the movie um there's a lot of like you know romantic screw-ups and you know family like issues and stuff like that that were well placed and it, it humanizes the characters a lot which you don't see i think in like a, say a scorsese yeah, movie sardar has the absolute worst excuse i've ever s- or heard when he got caught in the brothel and he's like oh dude and he's like oh this bitch told me she's actually nagma and i was drunk and i didn't realize it <laughs> she's like a butter so pathetic right so yeah, yeah. But it makes the character so yeah. much better. Oh my god! Yeah, the best is like what Nagma says after that when he's living. She's like, uh, "No, I'm pregnant. You can't have sex with me." And she's like, "Okay, you can, uh, you know, you can go out and you know, like, you know, you know, go fuck, go, you know, go fuck around with some hookers or whatever." But uh, one, you need to like take a, you know, one take a bath before coming home and make sure you're clean because I don't want any of that shit in my house. 
But the best part after that is like she's like eat your eat your food properly. Otherwise you'll otherwise you'll you'll bring shame to our shame to my name if you can't like go out and fuck properly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah uh, at least be good out there. You know, the, don't uh, don't yeah. embarrass our house by yeah. being a bad lay. <laughs> yeah, that's why I love yeah. her. She's great. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no. Yeah, so the story is really interesting because uh, you know, like I think this is an important contrast with the White Tiger because uh, so the story was written by uh, Zishan Kadri, who's from Wasipur and is the guy who uh, plays Definite in the movie, right? Yeah, and I saw that in one of the interviews. Yeah. I was so surprised because he looks he looks the youngest out of everyone. It's like, oh, this guy's yeah. the guy who wrote it. Oh, wow. You know. Yeah, so he's like from Wasipur, and it is based on uh, it is based on like actual people who uh, lived in Wasipur and still live over there. Uh, I can, I'm going to, I'll link to a couple of like news articles exploring that, but you know, it is based on like real people, real family rivalries and like actual things that happen there. And the whole tone is very much something like, uh, you know, like kind of like an epic, uh, you know, kind of like an epic story you would hear about like all the like, you know, neighborhood gossip or whatever while drinking tea at with one, a bunch of people from here. So I think that's like, kind of like that already automatically ends like a certain veneer of uh, you know again like authenticity if you want to call it that but also just a certain realness a certain nuance that is hard to get if you're an outsider looking in and this is compounded by the fact that it's directed by Anurag Kashyap who was uh, who's probably I think one of my favorite filmmakers period uh, he grew up in small town Uttar Pradesh uh, kind of like it was an outsider and like slowly broken up Bollywood later did a lot of film noir and like uh, movies on uh, you know like terrorism and serial killers and like you know more like film noir stuff basically and uh, but again, like grew up listening to stories about uh, like guy like this legendary Sultan Ladakh who uh, was uh, like grew up in a town that you know kind of aesthetically does show some similarities to Wasipur and uh, Dhanbad. Uh, and then you see this repeated with the cast, right? Like Nawaz Nawazuddin Siddiqui, Manoj Bajpai, uh, Pankaj Tripathi, Huma Qureshi. I think Rima. I'm not sure about Rima Sen, but like. A whole bunch of the others basically grew up in small town, small town North India, are from those communities themselves, and you see this reflected in the way they speak, the way they deliver lines, and all of that, which uh, you don't really see that much of in the White Tiger. And in fact, you see the opposite, right? Like in the White Tiger, you see <clears throat> the kind of slang they use, for example, makes no sense. Like uh, this is in the book as well. He keeps uh, all the other drivers keep referring to Balram as some. Like I think it's in the movie they say Dehati Chuhe. Which means like country mouse or like you know like uh, country or I think it's, it's supposed to mean country pumpkin or something, but uh, I've never I've never literally never heard that phrase used in real life, uh, or like or you know seen it in any other like kind of media. So it's one of those things where it's very much Adiga imagining what someone like from that part of part of the country would say as opposed to what they would actually say, which is you know frankly a little bit more like foul, like a little bit more foul mouth, like every other word in Vasipur is like like some other like Hindi swear word. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. You know, it's Netflix. Maybe the, like the uh, box. Oh, but you well, said it's in the yeah. source material, so yeah, it, it can't be that. Yeah. Um. Actually, yeah. uh, going back to the White Tiger, the, the question that I wanted to ask you is okay. So you said uh, at the time it was written there was you know China and India were much closer together. Their fates were looked to be more intertwined. What what is the popular Indian opinion on why that is no longer so? Why is China like more ahead? Why is the relationship gotten more contentious, etc.? Yeah, it depends who you ask. Uh, I think like a lot of Hindu nationalists kind of like have a love hate relationship with China. Uh, they kind of like you know will admire China for being you know like this authoritarian like you know like crazy hashtag developing first country, but they will hate on China you know for being really aggressive towards India or. You know, they all because of, uh, you know, like because of COVID, there's been a lot of like anti-China sentiment uh, with latest aggression. Like I think the government even ended up banning TikTok and PUBG 
uh, which did put a lot of like streamers out of business for a bit. Oh no, the, the teenage yeah. there'll be a teenage rebellion. <laughs> yeah, I think there was one for a bit, but then I think Instagram Reels just took over. But uh, or and then there's like some homegrown like things for TikTok as well. But uh, no, I think it's one of those things where uh, some like you know the Hindu nationals will be like, yeah, India needs to be more like China. And kind of like fits in. With in the what world. way, though? Like economically or like politically? Are are they like becoming more anti-democratic? Like, yeah, this democracy thing. Uh, yeah, like, they kind of like kind of like you know? I'd say more like the end on the anti-democratic side. So like uh, you know they kind of say that oh yeah, China is able to develop because they're disciplined. They kind of like have a cohesive nation. Uh, you know, like a singular aim to quote unquote develop, and they don't like pander to minorities too much. Uh, so that's and uh, you know so that they kind of like fall into that. I think other people like I think like you know this is obviously a much smaller community, but uh, like liberals in the cities will say will hate on China, you know, for the same reason that liberals around the world will hate on it, right? For being anti-democratic, for uh, shit happening with uh, you know with Uyghurs and Tibetans uh, and all of that. And uh, yeah, I think that in general, I think it's kind of viewed. I think because of the border conflict and has escalated a bit, there's always been tension around there, like going back to the 60s, but it's escalated a bit recently. I think because of that, and because they're like kind of you know kind of like generally there's a you know there's been a rise in anti-China sentiment in large parts of the world. I think all of those put together kind of just see China as like more of an enemy now, and you know it's kind of like grown to the point where it is you know is a superpower, right? Like there's no other way of putting it. And uh, I think there's a bunch of resentment towards that as well. So uh, yeah, I think if you wrote a book like that today, you would just be like seen as kind of kooky. But at the time that the book was written, it was. There was uh, China hadn't really like decoupled from the same like growth model the way it has so far, right? Like it's able to be, right? And it wasn't really exporting, uh, exporting infrastructure the way it is right now. So I think that's been a big difference as well. And yeah, yeah India on the other hand, that is, was yeah. uh, that was the Beijing Olympics. That was like seen as the like the the, the debutante's ball kind of right for China. Seems like ages yeah. ago now. Yeah, it was right, and you know everyone was like, yeah, China slowly opening up. It'll go the way of Japan or Taiwan or South Korea. Uh, but that obviously hasn't been the case. I think in India is just kind of like things have just kind of continued the same on the ground. Uh, I think Gangs of Wasipur like shows this when, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, but uh, at the end there's an epic shootout. Faisal kill Faisal uh, kills Ramadhir Singh. Uh, most other people have died by now, and uh, Definite then kills Faisal, and he and JP Singh Ramadhir Singh's son end up ruling Wasipur. But and Nasir and Mosina and Mosina and Faisal's son move to. Uh, Mumbai to start again, but uh, yeah, like as Nasser, as Nasser notes at the end, uh, you know the violence continues even with the new actors, and it kind of just shows that you know the mafia states don't really die easily, right? Like uh, this kind of like violence is this kind of like situation is very systemic and therefore continues the same way it will continue even if the actors change. And so I think that's is there some the is there some significance yeah. to them opting out of that and moving to Mumbai, like moving to the big city where you know opportunity lies, that kind of thing. Yeah, the, I think there is. Uh, I think, and I think it's similar to what you see with the White Tiger and how Balram claims that uh, you know break out of the bonds of the darkness. He needs to go into the you know go into the light, which is uh, you know like big city, urban India. So I think it's kind of like it's think of it as like a smaller scale version of uh, people you know immigrating to the U.S. to start afresh, have a new uh, have a new life, that kind of thing. But maybe with a little bit more like connection to where they came from, right? Uh, and so I think it's like kind of similar. You're moving away from. Uh, you know where there's this whole history of violence, where your family is known and not, and you know, oftentimes made a target, to a big city where you know you're still going to be, a, you're going to be a smaller fish in a bigger pond, and but you're not going to be around a lot of the violence that you saw growing up, that you saw like uh, in your hometown. So I think that's kind of like what it's supposed to show. Uh, and 
I also think it leaves it open to a potential sequel in the future. Like you can totally see Faisal's son, like say building up a like a criminal empire in Bombay and then going back to Wasipur to fuck shit up. Oh, I, I, th- I thought for sure Faisal and Mosina's son is going to avenge, try to avenge him and try to kill Definite. <laughs> Um, yeah, but uh, that's a feeling I got. I don't, yeah. Uh, although the the ending kind of made it seem like a kind of a a peaceful ending, but I was just like, nah. I don't. I think I think the the cycle continues. I think from what we've seen in the movie, the cycle never ends. Yeah, when the wife yeah. was like, "I'm pregnant," and she had the, like, you knew it was gonna keep going, right? That was the point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's especially you know in both the White Tiger and uh, the Gangs of Wasipur, they're like election scenes i just i can't imagine how chaotic elections must be in india because you got such a you, you got you know a perfectly oh, elections modern... are fucking lit man <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just mind-boggling how it can even be carried out because like you got you know you got your modern cities and i'm sure like at, at the you know wealthiest areas you know elections just like you know elections here in fact it'll probably be even better you know like it's a mess here i mean we can barely hold it on to ourselves and we've been doing it for much longer and then, but like, you know, uh, like a Balram's village, how, you know, where they vote, like, how does anyone verify that? And then you see like sacks of money just getting passed through, uh, ballot yeah. boxes being burned or, or then throwing ink in it, which I thought was a very clever trick. No need to burn anything, just throw ink into it and yeah. no one can read it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what's interesting because I will say that, uh, you know, like shit like that does happen, but for the most part, elections are like conducted pretty well in the sense that uh, you don't really have widespread fraud uh, and it's one of those oh, things that's, where that's, that's yeah, good to hear. yeah it's one of those things where you know there is a i think there's an immense cultural pride in like voting it's mm-hmm. because oh, okay. it's like mm-hmm. you know you get like a senior government and all of that uh and people take the whole like secret ballot thing pretty seriously uh like you yeah. won't always talk about it and participation tends to be pretty high i think like turnout is consistently 70 80 percent but that's uh, crazy. Yeah, like, holy that's like yeah. a billion people holy fuck yeah and you know like elections when they happen they're like you know always like very carefully con- conducted they take over a month to be conducted for like uh for like the central government but uh yeah no it's interesting there because uh you kind of like they kind of like show all these election rallies happening right and like you know they're putting like garlands of money and shit around ramathir singh and all of that and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's guy kind of like you know that's a norm like it is you, it is a big party in fact it, it's like it's gone to the point where, like in uh, like in Bombay, uh, one of the local part, the local parties, uh, the Shiv Sena, like used to. I don't know if they still do it. They used to basically ban the sale of alcohol like the day before the election and the day of the election, <laughs> and also mm-hmm. uh, you know, ban yeah, and also ban the sale of this one fish called bangra. It's a kind of mackerel, and because okay. it's like oily, it gets spoiled really easily. Like it, it can get spoiled really easily, and so they basically banned the sale of that for like 24 hours before the election, so no one's too sick to go vote. Or like go to rallies or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. So shit like That's that. Crazy. So like, yeah, people take elections like way more seriously than they do in the U.S. And yeah, you kind of like see that come out in very, in very different ways. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. All right, so we're a little over an hour now, so I think uh, we should a- aim to wrap up soon. Uh, any other thoughts? I mean, even not relating to these movies, even just tangentially related. I mean, it's been a while since we potted, so we, I'm sure we have a lot of thoughts and stuff. I just want to say that I thought the film was great in large part because it was like five, six hours long, but it didn't feel like it. Like it really went by. And my my immediate thought after that was like, people complain so much about The Irishman being like four hours long. Like I wonder what it was about that movie, right? Versus this, especially noting that Scorsese actually sent a, a personal letter to the d- director to congratulate him after Gangs of Ajapur. Yeah, uh, I feel like out, Scorsese so. would have loved this movie, yeah. yeah. He's probably seen it. I mean, I think that Scorsese is like a walking encyclopedia of movies. Oh yeah, he oh, watches yeah, he watches everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, so I'll say, I'll add this one thing, which is kind of like why Gangs of Asipur is important. So like, uh, yeah, so like, I think I spoke about this earlier, but it created what I like to call the Kashyapur. So basically all of these stories that are set in small town or rural North India, uh, features actors that who look like normal people as opposed to, you know, the, uh, like the typical, like, uh, the like, like yeah. super muscular Bollywood hero. And like mm-hmm. Nawazuddin Siddiqui is the best example of this, because if you look at him, like, you know, like the joke is that he looks like some... He looks like a fucking. Uh, he looks like a fucking uh, bureaucrat or like you know, like a small town, like Hamster, <laughs> Wait, that kind of one? thing. Which one? Nawazuddin Siddiqui. He's the guy who plays uh, Faisal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't know. Like, I thought he, yeah. he got to really uh, become menacing at the end. You know, like uh, at yeah, first you don't menacing. really notice him. Yeah, yeah. he got to become menacing, but he's not really. Uh, he's not really uh, this thing, like uh, you know, a larger than life like Bollywood figure. Like he's like a normal oh, yeah, guy no, who goes kind of crazy. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so he's uh, so you know he a lot of, all of the other actors as well like Pankaj Tripathi looks like kind of looks like a research worker he looks like a school teacher and talks like one too like he's the guy who plays uh, Sultan Qureshi uh, and then Rajkumar Rao also you know is like a he's a mild mannered looking guy not a he's not not a big like you know not a big hulking like Bollywood guy all of that so a lot of them were basically like you know look like normal people but uh, partly as a result of the movie partly as a result of you know a bunch of shows and stuff being it, like greenlit with the same setting on uh, not just in not just on like Netflix or Amazon or Hotstar or any of these other things, but also in uh, like in actual movies, a lot of them went on to become like critically acclaimed, acclaimed actors like Rajkumar Rao, especially as I think yeah, his yeah. actor in a ton of brilliant movies like Aligarh, et cetera. Uh, but you kind of like saw this whole rise of those kinds of, of those kinds of uh, films that are like really going deep into uh, deep into rural India, deep into like small town stuff, but is also crucially written by people from that part of the country and you know acted by people from that part of the country uh, and so that creates a whole that kind of like creates a whole new really awesome uh just kind of re- really awesome like kind of storytelling and Anurag Kashyap, uh, Vikramaditya Motwane, a bunch of the other uh, people who worked on this movie uh ended, have ended up kind of spearheading that so that's kind of opened the floodgates for a whole new kind of storytelling that was not super prevalent before that so I'd say that's why it's super influential and uh yeah, you kind of see that reflected in like the uh, like you know like inter- internet memes and just the way people talk as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Arnav, have you ever seen Kabir Singh that movie? Uh, shit, no, that's one I have not seen. Uh, it's like oh, pretty okay. new. It's like relatively new, right? It's like twenty nineteen. Yeah, uh, a friend, a friend and I saw it recently, but um, that's I yeah. mean, uh, Gangs of Wasper is much better. I mean, that that wasn't a very good movie, but uh, it was apparently. Uh, quite famous, or rather infamous. So I thought you might have watched it. Yeah. Yeah, it was like I remember it was like uh, there was some controversy around like, uh, like misogyny and stuff within it. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't remember it for sure, but uh, yeah, I'll put a, I'll link a few movies and shows that are kind of like of a similar tone in the show, like in the show notes as well, like uh, Mirzapur, which stars uh, Pankaj Tripathi, is set in another small town in like uh, eastern Uttar Pradesh, like very close, like Dhanbad and Vasipur. Uh, and it's kind of about this, uh, like this family of uh, who runs the opium business over there, and kind of like just rules the town, and is like deep into like deep, deeply involved in politics, that kind of thing. A lot of cast members from Gangs of Aspar are in that, along with Punk, uh, not just Pankaj Tripathi. Uh, Sacred Games is interesting because it's set in Bombay. It's kind of like this epic thriller, like drama. But uh, the stars are Nawazuddin Siddiqui and uh, Pankaj Tripathi. Uh, it's partly directed by Anurag Kashyap as well, and so it's really interesting to see the same kind of uh, you know, storytelling techniques and all of that it's being set in Bombay and kind of like bringing out the same kind of, uh, you know, like craziness. Uh, 
there's another show called patal lok which goes into like casteism much more deeply and there's a really good job of it stars uh, jaydeep alawat who plays uh, shahid khan in the movie uh and then there's a few other movies like that which i like just put notes for uh but yeah it really did kick start a whole bunch of things so that's why it's really influential and i think it uh this captures the zeitgeist way much more uh, much more closely right because it just shows what's happening on the ground way more than the white tiger does yeah for sure All right, I I think we're good. Uh, Arnav, thank you so much for joining us. Um, oh, so if you want to watch Gangs of Wasapur, you can get a seven day trial subscription to Mubi, which is where I watch it. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime, uh, or you can just download it, which actually uh I did as well because I couldn't get Mubi to work. But I watched part two on Mubi. That is part one. I had to download because I couldn't get it to work the first time. But yeah, these movies are out there. Maybe even those are on on Mubi as well. If if uh, Gangs of Wasapur was on, and obviously the White Tiger is on Netflix. and uh give the book a shot um you know i like the movie but i definitely think the book was better so you know hit up your local library or your local bookstore get it as well and arnav i'm sure we'll have you on again to, you know either talk about this or you know you were you came on to talk about warrior uh you know in the last episode you were on so we're we're going to have you on for sure again yeah man looking okay, forward uh, to it green night where do green night <laughs> Oh, the green night, yeah. Um all right, uh so thank you uh, for listening people and then as I said, uh unverified accounts will be, you know, periodically coming on uh Escape from Plan A and you know, catch us, we'll do we'll do in-depth looks into uh, certain books, movies and TV shows. So, everyone signing off. Uh catch you next time. Bye everyone. See ya. See you.